Welcome back. Now, the Department of Health has received responses around the NHI bill. This from 60 public hearings conducted across the nine provinces between July and October. For medical aid, Section 33 of the legislation remains a sticky point. And Alex Fandenieva, who's a healthcare and governance expert for Ovitz University, joins us with his take on the uproar it's causing in the private and medical provider industry. Prof, thank you for your time and a good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Prof, NHI back in the spotlight, I think for obvious reasons, but let's speak about a Section 33 and why uh, the private sector is uh, zooming in on this section right now. Well, the, the, the particular provision says that anything that is covered by the National Health Insurance Fund can't be covered by a medical scheme. And, uh, and essentially what it's saying is that medical schemes will only be able to cover uh, non-essential health care. Uh, and uh, and rightly, much of the uh, industry and many of the pe and, and people who are covered by medical schemes are quite concerned about this because it doesn't appear to be a rational or a reasonable provision. I was asked about, uh, you know, what is happening between the private sector and government where NHI is concerned. Initially, Prof, it looked like the private sector was keen to come on board and kind of co-create uh, NHI because I don't think anybody disputes the necessity uh, of something like NHI. But it is starting to look like, uh, you know, provisions like these and the, the, the conversation uh, in general is becoming a little bit polarized. Am I reading that wrong? But I think initially, the, uh, many, many different stakeholders assumed that there would be a reasonable process of engaging on the universal health coverage strategies that government should be embarking on. Um, and But over time, what's happened is that uh, the Department of Health and government has essentially stayed stuck with a set of proposals that appear uh, rather extreme and uh, and uh, very difficult to implement and unlikely to be implemented and appear to be quite harmful to the overall industry proposing to create um a sort of a, a, a very centralized health system that replaces both our public and our private sector systems when in fact government has been particularly poor at delivering anything at this point in time so there's big risks for uh, people who are currently covered uh, through medical schemes on the end uh, the uh, and what is, appears to be a strategy to uh, pr prohibit competitive coverage for whatever the state tries to operate. And this is kind of the model that you had with ESCOM, et cetera, where the state provides everything and it doesn't actually give you the opportunity to buy any alternatives. It just prohibits them. And then you're pretty much stuck with uh, with the state provider. And this is this is obviously a concern. And from a procedural perspective, I think that a large part of the many, many stakeholders are saying we haven't been heard. We don't think this is reasonable. There are many more reasonable ways of addressing the universal health coverage objectives. And it appears that government is just not listening. They're just doubling down on rather tired proposals that don't make any sense. Another interesting aspect, I guess, about this and, uh, you know, one that's been asked uh, throughout the discussion is the issue of where the money will come from. We recently heard uh, of a possibility of a medical aid scheme credits uh, being taken away by those uh, from those who are, uh, you know, uh, on medical aids. Uh, prof. And an important aspect maybe is even I think when I read one of the uh, members of the health department said is to take, uh, you know, a privilege from the rich and to really across subsidize. But all the people who have medical aid on necessarily rich people. Um, it's just middle class people, I guess, who are also trying to make it through uh, the, 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 the economy. I'm wondering also if we do not stand a chance here of 
um, of causing tensions uh, between uh, the haves and have-nots and uh, the taxpayers in South Africa trying to find money for the NHI? Yeah, so these arguments that are based on uh, essentially increasing taxes on uh, middle class uh, contributors, it's, it's, not, it's not taxation of the rich. Um, medical scheme households uh, essentially pay around about 75 to uh, 80 percent of all of the public health expenditure, which they don't access. So from an equity perspective, the, uh, there's a very substantial, what's called vertical transfer from high income to low income households that exists already. The contributions that medical scheme members make toward their own coverage, including the, the, the tax credit, which is capped. So the higher income groups don't capture a very big tax subsidy, uh, is really them paying for their own health care. And in fact, around about 75% of the cost of the tax credit is actually paid by these households themselves. So in essence, this is not an unfair arrangement. Uh, this is actually quite an equitable arrangement where people who can afford to cover themselves are expected to do so largely with their own money. And uh, and to now come in and say what we're going to do is we're, we're not only going to remove that tax credit, but we're also going to increase taxes in order to redirect the money you are contributing toward your own coverage toward the coverage of everybody. In other words, incorporate it into a general tax. This is just... Uh, public finance nonsense. And I think that it's been recognized as such by many official structures as well as uh, academics. It's utter nonsense. But what is proposed essentially is to massively increase the tax burden of middle income groups and, and upper middle income salary earners and, uh, and provide them with very little uh, back. And uh, this, this just makes very little sense. And it hasn't been evaluated there has been no evidence-based analysis of any of these proposals. So it's, it really is concerning that government is moving forward with this when they've actually done no work to validate whether this is the appropriate approach going forward. And incremental moves that they're suggesting, like the removal of the tax credit, are highly destructive mm -hmm. within the context of a, of a system that is already fragile because government has done so much to undermine both the public and private sectors over the last 15 or so years. Years. So it's, it really is a concern at, at this point in time. It appears as though government um, has kind of lost the plot. Then I must ask you, from just a medical professional perspective, a prof, uh, are we then saying if we centralise the system, what will happen to private practice uh, keeping doctors who often you know, work in the public sector but have a, a private a practice somewhere else? Uh, you know, would that also see the... Um, the risk of us losing our healthcare professionals because they would then be forced to work for the state. Yeah, so the, the, the proposals that have been made, I mean, which are also, uh, I think, completely beyond the capabilities of government, are to effectively then contract after raising the taxes um, of what people are raising taxes to such an extent that what people were contributing to medical schemes is now added to whatever the public budget is. The theoretical idea is that they could now buy all the health services available in South Africa uh, efficiently. And now, uh, the, so the assumption would be that they're able to create these contracts 
reasonably and efficiently and manage them. The problem is that government has been appalling at contracting with its own healthcare professionals at this point in time, has no capability of contracting on a so-called purchase of provider split basis with the current private sector. This is just you know, it is, it's pie in the sky. These contracts, these arrangements are incredibly complex, requiring that you have payment systems that can't be circumvented. Quality of care supervision across an entire system down to the individual professional level and somehow managing to explicit, explicitly distribute public and private resources across the entire country through centralized mechanisms. This is just not feasible for this government at all hasn't been achieved by the best health systems they run differently so this is really a paper plan it can't be achieved can't be implemented and part of the reason why people are really objecting is they, they can't actually see how this would work going forward and there's just uncertainty being created because it just doesn't make sense government doesn't have any ability to contract with the private sector at this point in time and the problem is that they've still got to do a lot more to be able to contract with their own healthcare services effectively and efficiently and they're nowhere close to doing that they're horribly run at this point in time and uh, and yeah so health professionals themselves just face uncertainty My, what i would say is people should not be totally concerned until rubber hits the road yeah. because there are going to be legal objections to this and government's capacity to take any of this forward is seriously in question it's very unlikely that anything is going to change going forward other than yeah. uh, spuriously passing a bill that can't be implemented well, Prophet, all we have time for today. Thank you so much for uh, your time this afternoon, really uh, taking us through the intricacies of uh, the NHI and those developments. That was uh, Alex Van Nieva. He's healthcare governance expert from this university.